Welcome back. Thank you for hanging out with us. Once again, this is the one and only IT and the show episode 456. I'm your host, Bob Waltenspiel. As always, hanging out with producer, co-host extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, Stephen Childs. He's the founder of Dorsey Creative. We're going to be talking about stuff we haven't talked about, frankly, five, six, seven, eight years. SEO, email marketing, um, Facebook ads, getting digital marketing, getting your business up and running. Um, so if you're a small business looking to increase your uh, increase your coverage or if you're just interested in the, in the topic, this should be a great one for you. You can find us online, itinthed.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts or sold. Randy, I'm a little rusty, man. We haven't. It feels like we haven't recorded in like a solid month. Um, it's been a week or two. It's been a couple of weeks, but hey, if you are uh, if you want to catch us on the meetups, uh, go to meetup.com/it and the D Thursday four twenty. We're going to be at um, we're going to Urban Rest Brewing in Ferndale. Oh my god, I couldn't. I'm trying to think. Four twenty caught me off guard, Randy. I'm thinking of uh, uh-huh. a bunch of. Don't don't get any ideas, you hooligans. Hope to see you out there. No cover, no speakers, just uh, IT networking and some uh, good good beer from those. And I don't know what food truck's going to be there, but usually there's a pretty fantastic food being uh, being served up. So, Stephen, how are they treating you, man? You doing all right? Yeah, good. How about you? Never been better in all my life. So yeah, when uh, when I first heard about talking about this, I'm like, oh my god, SEO social media like you know facebook listings and i'm like we haven't talked about this in years but i go i can't imagine it's been stagnant so i guess like let's take a you know let's jump take a step back and i guess how you started dorsey creative and then i want to get into some of the some of the meat on what's what's new these days in in that world yeah so i uh started it back in 2016 uh before that i was doing um efficiency management believe it or not and you know, for automotive automotive companies, and I was at OSU anyway. So I quit that job um, to move on to do something a little different. So it all kind of panned out. A client or a friend of mine came to me and said, "Can you make this website?" Um, so I made the website, and the Dorsey was born from that. So it's um, I've been doing websites since 1995. So it's been quite a while, and it's changed significantly since 1995 i mean you know the days of geocities and you know talk city are different totally totally gone now and now it's in the new age well i mean before you had to do you know the, the dreaded ftp upload and now you can uh just is is i mean is everybody standardized still on i know when we started the it and the d and stuff when we, we branded everything it was all wordpress it's still pretty much all wordpress yeah uh i'd say 60 40 50 to 60 percent of all websites on the internet are wordpress right now all right i know we used to scour uh template monster and just like try to find the one that look, didn't look the worst <laughs> and uh, i think that was <laughs> that's still what it and the d is right now is just that that simple wordpress so how many so like out of a, a typical small business how many of them are still thinking about everything on this because i know like when when we were launching on on podcast detroit and all the podcasts i would tell them you need to get the url you need to get the instagram slash you need to get the facebook slash you need to cover all your bases you got to own your brand are are people thinking about that still or i guess what 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 level of uh i guess uh sophistication are are most of the small businesses these days well Hopefully everyone is thinking about that. I will say that in, in, in all the conversations I've had with, um, you know, small business owners and everything starting up, that is Facebook, Instagram, websites, getting URL, email. That's as standard as, 
it seems to be as standard as, you know, actually getting a business license. So um, it, it's, you can't survive very well without it. So, I mean, let's fast forward. What What's changed? I mean, obviously gaming Google has been the goal since it came out, trying to get that, you know, without paying for the ads to get on the top. What, I mean, I'm going to jump right into it. First thing I thought of was when I, when I was looking at your bio and everything you're doing is, you know, is everyone using chat GPT now to game the system and put 1500, you know, uh, dead pages indexed so you can get top row. I mean, at one point, do, do they just not get looked at anymore? Or is anyone even doing that? Or am I just an idiot for even thinking about it? No, no, people are doing it. Uh, it's happening all over the place. I mean, it's going to break Google one day, you know I mean? It's just, there's it with, with chat GPT, Jasper, anything like that. I can literally go on and create content that is really good. Um, still needs a human touch. I can, I can create that content for that. Any page, any subject in a matter of minutes, um, you know, and I could generate thousand word blog posts um, and I could do it all day long and end up with a, you know, 10, at least 20, 30, really, really good blog posts to post. I was, uh, I got caught, I got caught in ad hell and I had to see it through, but I got caught on a sponsored ad and it looked like clickbait. And I wanted to do some research on what, what the hell this was going on. There was like 10,000 comments and it was like, I don't want to call it a viral post, but it was a viral post. And I literally got to the end of it. And it said, this is a fictional story. And it, it was like this heart-wrenching story about some baby to the hospital and had some nose holes in the nose. And I'm like, I had to, re I had to see it through. And, but in the meantime, there was 73,000 ads that came that I had to scroll past. Is that what people are doing now to like, for ad revenue to create content? Cause I'll be honest, I'll be honest with you. I'm so like, you get angry when you get through that. Uh, so I think that a lot of people are doing stuff like that. And I mean, if you look at like just recipe blogs, for example, that is a prime example of how to use AI to generate content that makes sense. Um, you just drop your recipe in there and you say, tell us all about this. And they do. And then you have to like try and you have to scan, scan through all these ads. And it's just hundreds of ads just and then all this stuff you got to read through. Um, that's like the ideal place to put that sort of content because it, it helps Google understand what you're looking at. It helps answer the questions that Google wants to answer. Um, and it overall just kind of makes a lot of sense to use that in a way that benefits you to that, you know, in but, that regard. So, but Google gets smart though, and their algorithm is constantly evolving. And at one point, does it like see this as the, I don't want to call it a virus, but I do, but I don't, but I totally do. At what point does it see this as a virus? Cause I mean, as soon as chat GPT came out, there's also apps that check and see if it was written in chat GPT, right. Or, or, uh, how, how soon before they're scanning it and just like not allowing, or is it just, is it part of life now? I think it's pretty much well ingrained. Um, you know, they have plagiarism colleges and universities have plagiarism checks that can't identify that anything was written by AI. You just, you really can't necessarily identify it. Now, I mean, I've put in like, tell me about myself and AI and stuff, and it just spits out some fake story that's not even real. Um, you know, so it, it's not impervious. It can certainly not provide valuable information, but at the same time, if you give it the right prompts, it can certainly do that. Um, 
And if you change it afterwards, it's it's likely to beat any kind of app sniffer or uh, AI sniffer that's out there. No, so one of the things we posted on the IT and the D Facebook page, we always post stupid memes. And uh, this one's quite brilliant. I showed a bunch of people that I know that were small business owners. And the, the person uh, created the restaurant. And they, instead of, re, you know, how everyone, like, you know, in, in back in the 80s, that would be AAA plumbing and AAA electricians. So you could be first in the phone book, oh, right? Yeah. Phone book doesn't exist. So now what do you do? It was called Thai Food Near Me. And yep. the restaurant's name. And I'm like, that's genius. And uh, the guy I was with was an electrician. He goes, I need to get electrician near, call my business electrician near me and just have it point. And I go, it, is it going to be an epidemic now? Have you seen this going on yet? Yeah, we see that. We use that search term. And, and a lot of the stuff when we build out, you know, different SEO campaigns, we'll create pages that are focused on that. Um, and the way we do that is the near me actually becomes the city. So let's say it's roofing contractor. So roofing contractor, Troy, right? Anyone in Troy who searches roofing contractor near me is going to pick up on that search term near me, near me for Troy because that's where they're located. Um, as tacky as it is to name your business near me, um, it's not a bad idea uh, to do something like that. If nothing else, at least make sure that you're capturing a, you know, that on the search engine and you're doing it in a way that does not use near me inside of your language. It's not going to work that way. It has to be actually near you. So in most of the cases, you don't even need to actually type near me anymore. Um, because Google already knows where near you is. Um, since Google already knows that, I mean, this stuff knows everything about you. Um, oh, we know. We since, know. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Since they already know everything about you, there's no way that they're not going to be able to pinpoint your location unless you hide it. And at that point, why are you searching you know, for a roofing contract near you without using the specific term so that was my favorite thing with the TikTok, all the garbage going on right now with the hatred towards it and i said uh you know google google knows every like it knows what i'm gonna eat tomorrow for lunch like let's not let's not be let's not think that these other com companies are angels we, we give up our uh we give up everything in order to get free email and free maps so, i mean it is what it is and the scarier part is that you may not know what you're eating and Google does, but it's not because you're making the choice. It's because Google's telling you where you're going to eat. Absolutely. It's forcing you to look at what they want you to see when you're, when you're using it. They did it today. They did it today. They put a Oakland, Oakland uh, press and they put out a new restaurant in Clawson called biscuits and gravy. That's literally what it's called. And I'm like, you're killing me. Cause this is, cause, uh, you know, I'm doing this whole intermittent fasting. It's 1130 and you're going to throw this ad out or this <laughs> article on biscuits and gravy. Now I'm starving. You know, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, what's, what's changed because a lot of it, like, you know, I got really ingrained into this like 15 years ago with SEO. And, and when, when we first launched IT in the day, we wanted to be on top of all, you know, when the podcast launched 10 years ago, we wanted to be on top of everything. The group started, we want to, you know, and now we just kind of let it go. Um, what What's changed from back then? Because you've been around since long as I've been around, at least in the tech world. What's, what are you doing different today? Or is it is it a lot of the same? Buying keywords, making sure you're indexed properly, you know, is, is it a lot of the same? Um, so in terms of the technical stuff, yeah, it is uh, to an extent. So what the activities of SEO are completely different now. 
um, than they were even three years ago. Three years ago, you could kind of scoop by without you know doing a whole lot and you're still going to get indexed. But now with the amount of content that's being pushed out, it's really difficult to actually get indexed and remain indexed. And then, you know, on top of that, you have to have relevancy. So in 2021, Google launched something called the Core Vitals Update, which changed how your website has to look and how the code has to be written to that website. Um, and they changed in doing so, they actually broke the Internet at that moment when they made that change. Um, in their algorithm, everyone who was seeing good search results from, you know, things that kind of made sense. And now all you get are Pinterest ads and Pinterest, you know, links everywhere. They're all over the place for a little bit. There was that was going on. That's kind of fixed itself. But ultimately, if you are using, you know, Google or Bing search console and you're following their advice on there, it's going to you're going to be able to be OK but you have to understand like the relevancy is a major factor. Um, you know, SEO was just kind of one thing that you used to do. Now it's four different pieces of one thing that you do. There's four different pillars that are involved in it now. Um, and within those four pillars, you have activities that have to be done to the extent at which, you know, depending on how big your site is, that could be a full-time job. Um, so you, you know, there's SEMrush and Moz and all these different tools you can use to sort of track your how much ground you're gaining and everything like that. Um, and use that to your benefit, but don't take everything that they have out there for, you know, don't take it as the rule because there's still quite a bit of things that they don't know about how Google operates. Um, but there's uh, there's so much I don't even know where to be like I don't even know where to jump in on this question because there's so much that has changed, um, I guess let me point at the most important things. Hiding your keywords inside of a page with the color doesn't work anymore. You can't make your, you can't mask your words on your page to be the same color as, <clears throat> yeah. So um, that's just so scummy. Yeah, it totally. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's called Black Hat. So the, the list of Black Hat SEO techniques has grown exponentially over the last couple of years. Um, you know, private link networks are frowned upon. Uh, so, you, you know, anyone who had built one of those back in the day, those are pretty much bust now. What are you talking like the old Drudge Report? That was like all all it was was links to other stuff. Yeah, that that's that. And then, you know, where you host 10 different websites and just backlink to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it builds up itself and in, in that. Um, so, you know, it's... Yeah, it's changed significantly. And the most important thing is just make sure it's being done within accordance to Google and Bing rules and standards. If you're doing any kind of black hat SEO, it's if you get sanctioned, that's going to tank your 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 SERP, your search engine results. So one of the phrases I haven't seen yet is SEO sprints. And I understand what that means in software dev terms, but what is it what does that mean in SEO terms? So that's one thing that's relatively newer focus, you know, way of looking at how SEO can be done um, because of content is kind of the rule um, between SEO. Now it's not, it's not about the technical side. Um, technical SEO is you know, page, making sure your page is up to standards and the site's crawlable and everything. But then you have, you know, you have your high folk, your, your like specific type of content. So the way we look at it is, <clears throat> If you have, um, 
you know, let's say you have one main keyword that you want to focus for. So we're going to take that keyword and we're going to build an entire strategy around that keyword. We're going to, we're going to identify, and this keyword could actually track for an entire year worth of content. Um, so, you know, 365 different pieces of content can be generated for one keyword um, in most cases. And out of all of that, you have to come up with your strategy on, on what to do. So that's usually part of the sprint. It's the idea here is little, you know, chunks of activities that are less expensive than constantly doing, you know, all out SEO. So you focus on that one keyword and you create, you know, 10 pieces of content around that keyword and you identify 10 other focus keywords that sit underneath that. Um, and you build out your content, thousand words, 2000, 3000 words, but it's, that's going to be based on what the competition's doing and, and how well they're ranking. Um, once you're finished with the sprint, you've got all the content posted, you watch it, you make sure that the, um, the, the index has grabbed it and it's, it's picking up and it's being crawled and everything. Um, and then you wait. And what happens typically with these sprints is that within, you know, 30 to 90, maybe 120 days, you can go from, you know, no listing at all on, on any page. Like, so that's, that count starts at 100 all the way up to nine or seven on, on the search page. And Google has a new thing now where it's lazy load. You don't actually have to push the button to go to the next page anymore. So people in their heads aren't realizing that they're actually on page 10. So if you're on page 10, you're, you're within the hundred, uh, on the search ranks, you still could potentially get quite a bit of traffic from that. It's when you're in the, the nines, five, you know, anywhere in the top 10, I guess. Um, you're going to see some pretty good results out of that. Is uh, is Google, like since Google owns YouTube now, are they, because I know like I've talked a lot with like Tom Lawrence who does a lot on YouTube and he always said you got to create similar content, release it in a similar f pattern fashion. Is the, is the Google on the website, is it, are they using similar rules? Like when you're released or, or is it just, I don't, you know, I'm, you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, is it, are they using, yeah. by, are they going by the same rules or what, or, or is there anything that they can do to, to kind of be favorable in Google's eyes? Well, it's, I think that where that comes from, the cadence, the posting cadence that you have to fall to, that really comes from um, viewability, right? So people knowing that your blog is going to post or knowing that your video is going to be there on, you know, every Saturday at 3 p.m., it actually helps maintain traffic and the higher traffic you have, the more relevance Google sees your content, which increases your ranking in the search engines. So I think that's kind of where that might be, that might be coming from is the viewability. Um, I'm certain that Google's algorithm tracks many hundreds of things that we don't even know about. Sure. In addition to the list of hundred things we do know about, um, <clears throat> it wouldn't surprise me that that would be, you know, your posting cadence is important because if all of a sudden, Google crawls your page today and you have a hundred blog posts and they post, they crawl it, you know, let's say the next week and you have 200 blog posts, that's going to, that's going to raise some flags in the algorithm to say, okay, you typically don't normally go this way. This is not normal for you. We know that in, in 10 years you've posted a hundred pieces of content and now you're doubling it down in a, in a week. They're going to know that because the algorithm is going to be able to see the dates of when it was published and everything. Um, I am not sure that that would hurt too much, but it would be enough for Google's algorithm to know to not crawl you. 
and that that could potentially hurt fair fair so i gotta i gotta talk to you about something near and dear to my heart i I see part of your offerings is email marketing and being on the end of some drip campaigns um i gotta talk to you about that because like i've gotten to the point now where i pick one a week and i i go you know, a little coaching because they'll send me that. Did you get my last email? Did you get my last or, or on LinkedIn? Did you get my last note? And I'm on the fourth one, and it's like, you know, do you want to talk now? And it and it's uh, but the you know the, the, they missed the target on who they're talking to. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I don't buy insurance for my company. Like why are you texting me or emailing me? How much, you know, and the ones I think that do it right do a little homework. You know, I guess how much coaching are you giving to your clients that like, you know, don't just grab a list and start you know, hitting them with, with, with a drip campaign or are, are you, you know, are you letting them be educated on who their customers are or opt in only, I guess, what's, what's your, uh, what's best practices in that sense in your world? So a lot of those, um, just like I would call junky automated emails that come out. I get so many of them too. Like they just, they're massive and it's kind of annoying when you get like 20 a day. Um, most of those are, driven by software that kind of crawls the internet and pulls emails out. So in that, in that regard, I don't typically recommend doing that unless they go with someone who actually knows exactly how to go about doing that automation. Otherwise automation can be amazing because, you know, we'll run an inbound marketing campaign for a client. Um, and then we use some kind of software, uh, CRM that's like HubSpot or Salesforce. And we use that, to create an automated workflow so that when someone fills out the form that they got to from your ad or organic search, um, that form uploads into HubSpot and then they are, HubSpot will automate the process or we automate it for HubSpot. Um, and what it does is it spits out an automatic response the following business day at a normal time, like when you think you would get a reply. Hey, my name is, is you know, Sandy. And, you know, I'm the general manager here. I got your email and I wanted to know if you wanted to set up a time to talk. Here's my calendar link. If you do now, you've eliminated the entire need to actually have Sandy make that reply. And it looks it's coming from her email address. It looks like her. And then a calendar, you know, invite, whatever, the Zoom link, whatever shows up on her calendar from that meeting. You can track all of that in there. Um, That that is in the inbound world, like the lead gen, that's, that's like the gold standard because that will reduce, increase efficiency and, you know, reduce how much time people are spent wasting on replying to emails because you can just have a computer do it for you. Yeah. yeah, No, Um, I like to see now my take and Randy, you probably have a hundred stories too, is when you buy that thing, that one thing, and maybe it's a once a three year thing that you buy. I'm trying to think of an example in my head. I can't right now. Um, and you get an email for it daily for is, you know, and then you, it makes me hate your brand. And it's like, I really like your product, you know, maybe just go like, you know, Hey, if you really like this, refer a friend and get, you know, a a $5 Amazon card or something to me, that's smart. You know, keep telling me to buy their product again, not smart, you know? So I'm like, I don't know. Like, there's got to be thought behind these things. Um, the way you put it out, it's like it's opt-in is the is the you know, that's the key. But if I buy something too, like you know what I mean, I think being subtle 
you know, opt-in and subtlety. And I think, uh, I think a lot of marketers miss that mark. What's your, what's your take on, on that? Yeah. So I was, um, with like that, that's the retail side and the retail side. It's, it's about daily touch points. They don't care, you know, if you actually lose interest in their brand. Um, what they care about is open rates. And the more frequently you send an email, the more likely you're going to have an open. The more likely you have an open, the more likely you have a sale. Uh, typically, we do, we never advise a client to buy a list ever. Just don't do it. Um, you're gonna get you're gonna get blacklisted if you do. Um, in my opinion, and so opt in is best, and you got to come up with different strategies in order to get people to sign up for those lists. Um, whether it's a giveaway, whether it's uh, you know at checkout when they're buying something in store or online, it doesn't matter. Um, get the email address and then send them stuff until it. You, if you don't get any opens out of them, you don't get any sales out of them after six months. Dump it because you're wasting that that you're wasting money on paying to promote to that particular person. You can move on to the next. Um, I think. Yeah, I think that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I think that opt in on the email campaigns. And I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. I get them from, I'm not going to say who, but I get them (laughs) all the time. And it's like something I bought five years ago and I'm not buying this again. I don't never need it. It's a wallet. I'm not going to buy it. I, I, wallet's going to last me 10 years. Stop sending me emails. Um, and it's annoying, but ultimately it's going to keep you, it's going to keep them top of mind when you're thinking, Oh, well I bought this wallet. You know what? I think that you know, my dad might like this wallet. Let me buy him that. And then that's how you think about it. And and it's about the open rate. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Um, I want to switch topics a little bit. And a lot of it's social media slash online reviews slash what, you know, strategies behind that. Because I'm noticing like a lot of different brands have a lot of different strategies on how they A, respond to bad reviews, good reviews. <coughs> B, how they respond to, let's say, a Twitter whether or not they're trying to be funny, like some of them are downright the best comedy writers I've ever seen in my life. And some, you know, and you notice some people like when you read reviews, cause we did, we used to do a podcast where we read one star Yelp reviews. <clears throat> Very rarely would they be a response. And if it was, sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was poor. How are you working with your clients to, I guess, is the strategy mocking their personality or what, what do you, uh, which way do you go when, when you, when you're tackled with something like that? Well, let me start with Wendy's owns it, right? And if you've ever seen Wendy's Twitter and just they burn people all the time. They're the, um, they're the goats. Absolutely. Gold state. Yeah. Um, you know, so with that, you know, for a small business to, it's typically not something I would advise for a small business to do because it's not, it's not part of the strategy. I actually typically advise clients to just say, Hey, if it's a good review, thank them. If it's a, if it's a crappy review, Show that you are making an effort to communicate with this person in a respectful way that allows them the opportunity to reach out to you and resolve the issue. And if the issue is resolved and the client is happy or the customer is happy or whatever, if it's not too tacky, ask them to update their review and leave the old review there. You got to, you know, every time you got to just write update on, you know, change the star rating and write update. Um, it, it's, just having a basic message that says, hey, thank you so much for your feedback. We really find it extremely important. 
um, here's my email. Please send me an email so we can help figure out a way to resolve this and get and get past this. You know, I'm sorry this happened. Don't ever fight with them because when you, you know, especially in reviews and, and Facebook, that's a little different because it's about engagement. So the, the strategy and the point of that is different. I'll get into that. But on Google and Bing and Yelp and stuff, don't fight with them because it's not going to go anywhere, especially if you want to try and get the review removed. That was, yeah, I had one, I've, I, I'll go ahead, Randy. I was going to say the best I've seen lately of a business creatively dealing with bad feedback is um, Bobcat Bonnie's just recently made shirts with a one-star Yelp review printed on it. So all their servers are wearing shirts that say overpriced and gay, one out of five stars. It's brilliant. I mean, that was how Worst Meatball Sandwich, yeah, that, uh, you know, that's how that all started. But yeah, agreed 100%. Like, see, I had an issue. Um, I usually don't leave too many reviews anymore. I had an issue with uh, Metro Cars. And I didn't book through Metro Cars the last time I'll ever do that. Um, and it was, you know, I got an Escalade. The guy showed up in a you know, smaller car. And he's like, then the, the, I called the owner. And he's like, driver lie. The driver's lying. And he's yelling at me, yelling at me. So I'm like, man, you don't deserve, you know, you don't deserve to be in this if you're, you know, he stole your tip or there there are, he's just bickering with me. So I'm like, I've seen, I've, we've seen it all, like literally. And I think it's uh, what you kind of get at is just, yeah, being tactful. Because I think once you... You know, but you got to stand up for your business too, like kind of like Bobcat Bonnie's. That's right now. That's the that's the, you know, that's the best thing I've ever seen is taking a bad review and just mocking that person and putting them in selling <laughs> shirts for it. You know, so it's funny. We've actually recommended that to a couple of clients and over the years, and each one of them is like, no, we don't want to do that. We want to advertise um, on that. You know that that that's the thing, but it's like this is a ridiculous review. There is a difference between some review that's just completely. Re- insane and doesn't even make sense uh we've we have clients that um are in royal oak and they got a one-star review because of the parking the on-street parking and i'm like we're trying to fight this on um on 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 google itself and get it removed because it literally has nothing to do with the business yeah it's they're complaining about the parking system in the city and the owner replied with this like six paragraph message um, that was really well written and was respectful, but it's not typically necessary because usually people aren't even reading those replies. So the shorter the reply is, the shorter that window is. So if it just says, Hey, call me, let's talk, you know, instead of replying to it, 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 it serves a better purpose. Now advertising the bad review because it's silly and nonsense um, is, is an awesome idea, you know, and if you're on social media and someone, you know, mocks your post or whatever, uh, or leaves a, you know, a, a bad rating, you can reply in any way that you want, any way that you want, as long as it fits with your brand. And because ultimately if that, if that, if that, if your response, uh, is just like tongue in cheek, perfect. Um, it's going to generate so much positive um, return for you because you're going to get massive amounts of engagement and the algorithms be like, is going to say, well, hey, guess what? This post was really good. We're going to start serving up more of your content to more of your audience at, at more frequent, you know, more frequent rates. I was shocked at the <clears throat> exposure that a Google review got. Randy, I don't know if it's ten or a hundred thousand, but I remember when Larry brought out a bottle of Kessler at Temple Bar, and I took a picture of it and I posted it as a review, 
and I think it's hit a hundred thousand views for like a downtown Detroit dive bar. And I was shocked. It's like my most viewed picture. And it's literally just a bottle of liquor. There's nothing else. And I'm like, what in the world? So like, that was when I realized, uh, not that, you know, I was never a big fan of Yelp to begin with. Um, did you see it, Randy? Is that? I'm looking for it. Oh, all right. All right. But like, you know, we read a Yelp review of a new restaurant that just came out and it's just, I'm, I'm shocked. People are still writing books on yelp like i really am are you seeing that are you seeing it still around or what you know because we, we used to get we're super involved with it and and you know quite frankly it's 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 tough to read these days uh i see books i see one sentences the ones that kill me the most are the one stars that have no comments behind it the point of a review is to be helpful that's the objective you're supposed to tell them what your experience was when you go in there and just tap a one star it doesn't do any good um, at least give some feedback. I'm usually in my reviews, I don't leave too many anymore, but I have a couple hundred out there in my reviews. I'm pretty curt and short. Um, if it's really good, I'm like, excellent, highly recommend. It doesn't need to be much longer than that. Unless, you know, unless you're trying to get those views on Yelp and Google, because that's a whole nother aspect and avenue of the review market is the person placing the review themselves, get them some sort of self validation out of it knowing that, you know, I have a picture from of a lion that I posted uh, from the Omaha Zoo from 2017. Right. That's seen like 60,000 views. So I just did a review for the new DraftKings in uh, Troy in Somerset. And the way I did it was uh, walked in, place looked amazing, TVs are amazing, it's the perfect sports bar, solid five. And I said, food, chicken sandwich was one of the worst things I've ever eaten in my life. That includes fast food, you know, minus two. Um drafts you know uh six beers on tap minus one but then something else was plus one and it was like three and a half you know what i mean so like i kind of broke it down a little bit instead if i'm going to write a review i'm not going to just say chicken sandwich sucked three i'm going to you know you're going to get to the good too i think that's only fair right um but yeah, yeah i think it is no i mean i i will some t- you know depending on on how deep it goes i mean there are you know i can be um I can be middle of the road usually, but sometimes I can be pretty harsh in my reviews. Um, it just depends on, you know, like how they present themselves to begin with. If they're like, this is the best food in Metro Detroit. And I go there and it's like, not, I'm going to tell everyone's like, this is not very good food. Right. Like it was one star at most, um, you know, and then there's times when people are rude to you and it's just like, you know, let's not do that. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it's important when both receiving the review, the more feedback you give to the person, you know, if, if the point of the review is to to hurt their business, which it can do, it can absolutely do, um, then, you know, if that's the, your objective, then write something that's scathing. If your point is to get to have a, a problem fixed, um, you know, write something that gives them enough feedback to understand what the problem was. And if your point is to, you know, just make a recommendation because you had a great job, still tell them, explain it. It helps the business owner know what, what they're doing right. It helps them knowing what they're doing wrong. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of times when some of our business, some of our clients are trying to figure out how to go about marketing their product or something. And it's like new um, and they don't know how. So they just focus on what it can do. You know, this, this pen can write. 
Well, let's focus on something else. Let's take a look. The first place we jump to is the reviews. We want to see any kind of anything that seems to be out of the norm for the reviews. And let's say it's something like, you know, uh, this pen saved my life, right? And they go in the story of how the pen saved the life. Now, it's not just the pen that writes. It's the pen that writes and saves your life. And that's where we focus it all on. It's like this pen has life-saving you know, features. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit on, on how we would go about it. Right. The idea of, of we come to that point. The weirdest things you can pull out of reviews are from both negative and positive. You know, I mean, you could craft an entire message around your product. This is here's five things that this product won't do. Here's five things that this product will do. Sure. And that can all be pulled directly out of reviews um, in a u- super unique way. And, you know, it's it's driving the message home of what your product does at the end of the day for people that buy it. I think not what it is and not what it's for. I, I just had the, one of the best sales classes of my life. And the last thing it was was a feature benefits class. Um, I, I'm, it's, it's almost exhaust. Like I almost feel like I need to do a reset with everyone that I know to not sell that way anymore. Cause I've had way too many show up throw up meetings, but it's the same thing. It's not about the feature benefit, especially, you know, it's, a, it's the experience. It's how you feel. It's what they do for you. It's do that. Some things, you know, it, is it saving you money? Is it saving you time? Is it, is it ease of mind? You know what I mean? There's like, you got to find out what that niche is and, and go to, go to market with it. Cause it's not about, you know, you could have the best burger in town, but if your drive throughs you know, three hours long every day, no one's, you know, no one's going to go. Um, Tell that the White Castle. Except for White Castle at two in the morning. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Steve, um, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, just to wrap things up real quick. Um, like when you, when they, someone engages you and they're, they're basically clean slate, are, are you, are you looking, what are you looking at first and what are you looking at last? Or are you, are you doing things in phases? What's like, Hey, we got to make sure you're listed. Hey, we got to make sure your SEO is on point. Like what's, you know, is there, is there phases to this or can you do everything at once? Uh, everything in phases is good because it does not too much for any one person to bite off, uh, especially for someone who's just starting up. So if, if they're just starting up, then one of the best ways to get across and get, um, you know, to, to get there is, is in phases because it allows you the breathing room. Um, typically we're going to start with a presence. You need a, you need a home base because all marketing that you do, uh, if structured correctly, should be focused on your website. All roads lead back to your website because your website's your main point for analytics. It's home. Your main, it is. Um, and people may not ever even travel to your website, um, but they might hit a landing page on your website that spits them back out to to buy a product or to book a meeting or book a a, a table, whatever. Um, so website is one of the key places to start. Normally, if it's a fresh slate, we'll do a website combined with like a MailChimp account set up, uh, staging, and then we'll go into and, and make a Facebook. All this is done at once and it's all done. You know, it, it, it it's the Facebook and MailChimp are done well long before the website's finished, but the website gets done. Now you have some sort of base where you're able to sort of give updates, invite your friends, get people somewhat involved to help build up. Don't forget to invite your friends to your Facebook account, to your Facebook page. Always invite your people. Forget that all the time. You have if you get if you have a thousand people on your Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, invite them to like your page because at least ten of them will. Um, you know, so that's still ten more people you have following your page than you did before. But yeah, it is done in phases, and we usually start with 
um, you know, a website, depending on how, how big or how small of a project. Um, but it would be, you know, the basics, the listings, the website, the Google account, all that stuff set up. Uh, then we move into like strategy. And we build out a strategy to tell you, you know, this is your roadmap for how to get to your next stage. Um, and we can give that to you or we can just do it for you either way. Um, once that roadmap is in place, it can, it can last and be as valid with good creative briefs and general strategy as one year or as five years. It just depends on where that marketplace is. If the marketplace is on Amazon, um, then you can do a five-year plan. But if you're pinging on SEO to build your service-based business, for example, you're, you have to do a one-year plan because your strategy has to consistently change. Sure. Um, and then that's when we jump into things like Google ads and SEO. And if it's, I need business now, you know, we make a website, get the, you know, all the basic stuff out of the way. Uh, then we'll move in and we'll jump to immediate results. The only thing that can gener generally get you immediate results is Google ads and Bing ads is pay-per-click. SEO is going to take a while, no matter what. No matter how many backlinks you get, anything like that, to in order to start generating leads off of SEO, you have to be in a question-answer re relationship with Google and and the search results that are coming up. If they're answering your question, if you're if someone types a question and you're answering it, you're going to get organic um, leads from that. Uh, but with Google Ads, in most industries, we can just jump right in and get ads up that are really good, concise, and to the point, and business flows in. Um, unless you're a digital marketing agency, <laughs> right, right, right. No, then it's really difficult to yeah. market. It's it, crazy. Gotta, yeah, it's a, the meta. The meta, you got to market yourself marketing. Um, but hey, Steve Childs, appreciate the time spent. DorseyCreative.com. We're gonna put the links up on the show notes. But uh, really appreciate the insight and getting us up to speed on uh, on everything that you've been doing in, in the industry in general. So appreciate the time. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on the show. Absolutely. We're going to wrap things up for episode 456. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.